Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today recording part two of the Brandon Day and Gina Allen episode, which came out last week. And if you haven't listened to it, you could probably listen to this one. Like it's kind of its own, it's kind of its own story, but still related. So I recommend that one first, but you can also listen to this one separate. If you guys haven't checked us out on Patreon, you should go check us out on Patreon. We actually have a live scheduled where we're going to talk about some very disturbing serial killers. We're super excited about that. I'm trying to get Maddie to like do all of the research on it. So we'll see how that goes. And we also just dropped a Patreon exclusive episode. So go on our Patreon, check it out, support us. We really, really appreciate you guys helping us continue to do this. Yeah. So teeny tiny baby recap on our episode from last week, Brandon Day and Gina Allen. These two are on a date, basically. They're taking the tram in Palm Springs. Real life survivor. It's real life naked and afraid. But but they're not naked. (laughs) They're just afraid. afraid. (laughs) So they took the tram up to the mountain where there's a restaurant and a bar. They're going to have a drink and do a little walkabout, which turns into multiple days that we are now stranded on this mountain. And then they're lost. They're trying to find their way. They're freezing. Yep. And they stumble across a campsite that has been abandoned. The hiker is missing and he has been missing for a year. But he has made notes that he is trapped. Yeah. They and read cannot his... get out. And now they realize, they just realized at the end of our last episode that they are also trapped and cannot get out. So yeah, they read his stuff. They read his journals, found out that he's like, I've, I'm trapped in this cavern. Never going to get out. No one's searching for me. Tell my family I love them. So they're this. hoping at this point, they're like, oh, well, maybe he broke a leg. Maybe he injured himself. Maybe he can't move. And that's why he's trapped but then when they leave the campsite they head further down and find the hundred foot waterfall that they cannot get around it's all rock surrounding them they are at a dead end basically yep so brandon and gina return to the campsite where they decide now they're going to take the backpack along with a foam mat poncho And they also find 25 Strike Anywhere matches that they had missed on their first search. Okay. So they have matches. That's really good. Yeah. And toilet paper. Yes. And they return to the waterfall and canyon wall, hoping that they can find a way out. Gina puts on John's fleece, and she lays out some of the socks under the poncho to dry. As the sun sets, they prepare for another night stranded they picked a spot near the canyon wall above the tree line to ensure visibility even though at this point they've got to assume nobody is looking for them in this area because john also went missing in this area and they did not find him So what they don't know is that there are actually searchers looking for them right now. But they are nowhere near this canyon and have no plans to be searching anywhere near this area at all. Nope. They are all the way back up at the top 
They're in a completely different area. Yeah. Yeah. And this is how easy it is to get outside of the search range. Although they have been doing a lot of traveling, so I'm not surprised that they are out of the search range. I just heard a fun fact that adults and children, especially children who are lost, tend to pick a foot that they like more. And it'll it'll veer them in that direction. So children will walk in huge circles, Mm -hmm. which makes sense from what we've seen. That makes sense. I would say that I probably favor my left leg because I have right knee problems. Well, imagine if you get injured too. So look for me in a left hand. Look the left. Look to the left. Go to the left. (laughs) Always go to the left. Now, Brandon decides that he's going to start a fire, not only to keep them warm, but also maybe to act as a signal. After getting the fire going, they do hear a helicopter in the distance. And of course, they start screaming and waving their arms, but... The helicopter's really far away, and it soon disappears behind a ridge. Brandon tries to make the fire bigger, and Gina put her jacket on a stick to wave back and forth if it came back. They saw the helicopter four more times, but it never came anywhere near where they were. And obviously didn't see the smoke. And that's when the couple knew that they would be spending another night. So it's Tuesday, May 9th, which is day four for Brandon and Gina. And they've been without food for three days now. Did they have food their first day? Yeah. Okay. They'd eaten that first day. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So at this point, they're very weak and Gina starts her period. I would literally, like, I already don't like hiking on my period. Can you imagine being stranded with no kind of anything? Yeah. One Saving graces that Gina does have the toilet paper that they found in John's bag. But still, Brandon decides at this point, on this day, day four, that he is desperate to not die on this mountain. And he says, Gina, I'm going to light this place on fire. I'm going to light the whole damn mountain on fire. Do it. That was actually Gina's response. She was like, yes. Well, yeah, she's on her period now. She's not feeling so good. She wants to go home. So... He finds a volunteer and piles on as many branches as he can and literally just starts lighting shit on fire. Like, it got to the point where he had to run because it was spreading so fast. And they get to higher ground and everything's on fire for about 45 minutes and then it just kind of burns itself out and stops. At least it didn't start like a full-on forest fire. Then I just feel bad. But then they hear a helicopter, and it was flying right towards them. They jumped and screamed, of course. Gina ends up on the ground because she's so weak that she can't even stand because she's trying to jump up and down. The helicopter actually announces, Brandon, Gina, is that you? Are you okay? Stay here. And then it heads back down the valley. I don't know where it was going. But Brandon was like, who else would it be? And where would we go? (laughs) Like, obviously, the helicopter's here. We're not not going anywhere. When the helicopter returned, because I think it was looking for a place to land. Now, when the helicopter returned, they told them about the campsite of John Donovan and vowed that they wanted to come back and find him. Especially since it was his matches that had saved their lives. Because, you guys, the helicopter would not have gone over there if it weren't for the smoke. 
So they were searching in a totally different area. They saw the smoke and they decided to go over there. Yeah, okay. Don't feel bad anymore. It saved them. So that's... Seriously. Steve Smith, he's one of the rescuers on this helicopter. He was actually a part of the search for Donovan. And he immediately radios it in. Flying down the mountain, Brandon and Gina start to realize that they were not even halfway down. Even if they had been able to make it around the waterfall, they never would have made it. Not unless they started killing their own food somehow, like finding things to eat. So we want to talk to you about John Donovan. So he was born in Petersburg to working class parents, but his father abandoned the family after his birth. And his mother would die before his 10th birthday, Mm. after which he would spend time in an orphanage. He had no family that was close, and it was reported that his next of kin never had even met John. Yeah. He spent 15 years in the Navy, and he was known to swear like a sailor, and he could come off gruff to people that didn't know him. Yeah, I I feel you on that one, John. (laughs) So he lived in Virginia, and was a retired social worker, and some said that he lived like a bum without a car or a phone. I think that sounds amazing. Yeah, what year was this in? Um, I don't think that's that crazy that he didn't have a phone. Is that? No, I don't think it's terribly crazy, but he did have a job and things like that, so So maybe maybe, that, yeah, maybe. He was described as kind, generous, and eccentric. Yeah, and I couldn't really find exactly what why people described him as eccentric. I'm guessing it's just because he didn't live like the standard mm-hmm. life. It sounds like he lived really cheap. He tried to not have a lot of responsibilities. To me, that's not eccentric, but maybe there was something else, but I couldn't find why exactly that was part of his description. Respect. So he was also a deep thinker and loved history and the opera. And he was dedicated to helping people and would supervise field trips at the Central State Hospital, where he would lift patients into the hospital van one at a time and take them to the theater or the park. Yeah, and it was said that he, like, would go out of his way to try and get, like, tickets for everybody to go and do something. Like, he worked really hard to try to get people in this hospital, like, out and about because it wasn't something they got to do very often. So he didn't have any family, we know that, but he did consider the members of the Old Dominion Appalachian Club his family. He even spent his holidays hiking with Right, they would have like holiday events, like hike on Thanksgiving or, you know, things like that. So John's trail name was Seabreeze. He was known to pack a little whiskey in a recycled bottle that had a Seabreeze label. Yeah, I don't know what Seabreeze is. It's a... Is that a a drink? Yeah. Because it doesn't sound like it it was a brand of whiskey. It sounds like that was just the recycled bottle that he used. This is Seabreeze. It's like a cologne cleanser. Oh, weird. For sensitive skin. Huh, yeah. Maybe that's what he was using. I don't know. Maybe there's an older brand of something, Seabreeze. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I think it's funny. He would sometimes speak in an Irish accent and make jokes about the strict nuns from his orphanages. Yeah, and John actually didn't start hiking until he was in his 40s. And this was part of a plan to lose some weight, and he just kind of fell in love with it. Hmm. He actually completed the Colorado Trail, which is 500 miles, 
and the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,175 miles. And this he did over a 10-year span, one section at a time. Which is really fucking impressive. He was a slow hiker, though, and he would often arrive to camp hours after his hiking companions. He wasn't necessarily the best navigator and had been known to get lost. He had plans to spend some time traveling and had Australia, China, and Russia on his list, but first he was going to tackle the PCT, or the Pacific Crest Trail, which he would do in April of 2005. The PCT is 2,650 miles and goes from California to the Canadian border. And this time he wanted to do it in one stretch. His plan was to complete the hike with Ken Baker, who was 60 and part of the old Dominion ATC. So one of his friends from the hiking group. Mm -hmm. Ken was a retired mechanical engineer and had introduced John to ultralight backpacking. The pair had hiked around 100 miles together, and Ken said that John was kind of clumsy and wasn't mechanically inclined, mentioning one time when John had stepped on his own glasses and Ken had to fix them for him. John had even fixed up an old outbuilding for Ken when he was looking for a cheap place to spend his retirement. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like they were pretty good friends. Prior to the trip, Ken wanted to postpone the start date due to weather. So California had a particularly heavy snowfall, and Ken thought that they should delay their start date by three weeks. But John could not be convinced, and he decided to go it alone. Which, to me, sounds crazy. And when I was looking at the stats for this, it was a healthy amount of snow. And a lot of people actually did postpone or make a stop and take a break or travel around this area. Ken asked him, what if you get lost? To which John responded, the crowds up ahead will blaze a trail through the snow. I'll be all right. So I'll just follow everybody else's trail. The problem is, is that if everybody else isn't going, there's not going to be a trail. There's not going to be a very easy trail to follow. So he planned to begin in Mexico and hike to Oregon and would start on April 22 of 2005 after attending the annual PCT kickoff party at the Mexican border. In preparation for leaving, he would light two candles, one to honor the St. Christopher patron of travelers, and the second to pay tribute to St. Anthony, patron saint of the lost. Uh. It didn't work. He had left home on the 19th, the day that he retired, after a work party at 1230 to send him off. So he literally retired the day he left. And he had planned this hike for over a year, and he had actually typed out a six-page itinerary on a manual typewriter. So these are all those papers that we find in his belongings. He encouraged his friends to send him gifts that didn't need to be carried past the post office because he wanted to stay light, and he said, I'm just too old, and lighter is better. So, like... Send me a treat or a note or something like that. Like, don't send me gear or anything that I have to carry. So he was last seen on May 3rd, and he was about 178 miles into his hike. Oh, so that's like 13 miles a day. 
That's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. That's not bad at all. Uh, and he's near a place when he's last seen called Saddle Junction. And this is where the northbound Pacific Crest is crossed by the Devil's Slide Trail. So this is about 30 miles south of Palm Springs and 50 miles southeast of Los Angeles. The start of John's hike goes like this. So he headed north with a man named Lynn Padgett, who was a friend of his, and he was 48 with a bushy red beard. And he had hiked the Appalachian Trail in 1997. So an experienced hiker. You do the Appalachian Trail. So he said that John had the luck of the Irish. As they almost had gotten lost while hiking, and they decided to leave their campsite and go for a beer and cigarette without their packs, or even water. And another time, John had told him that he slipped down an icy slope in Poland's Tundra Mountains. Yeah, so the the little run that they decided to go for for beer and cigarettes, like they got like four miles, I think, down towards the car and abandoned the idea and decided to go back because it was cold and I think they realized that that was probably a bad idea. Yeah, John had told him that he slipped down an icy slope in Poland's mountains and the cord of his pants stopped him by catching on a bush and kept him from like yeah, sliding going off, off of the, a cliff. Yeah. yeah. Which two other hikers died that way on that day. Oh my god. From sliding. So John proclaimed that his pants were lucky. And that he was wearing them on this hike. So those are his lucky pants. They've saved his life once, they'll save his life again. So now the two are setting up camp in the Mojave when John realizes that he forgot his lucky pants in the hotel. Where he'd stayed that night. And he was struggling to set up camp and proclaimed that the wind was fighting him and that he didn't have his lucky pants. Yeah. Two days later, they arrived in Warner Springs. And here, Lynn would pull out because his feet were so swollen and he was just struggling. Right. John, on the other hand, was in high spirits as the hotel owner had sent him his lucky pants. So he decided to push on. Yeah. So now John would be on his, on his own. own. Yep. On May 2, he would begin climbing Mount San Jacinto, where there would be snow three feet high and a heavy storm was predicted. Now, this mountain stands at about 8,725 feet, which I think we talked about in the last episode. A lot of hikers would choose to wait out the storm in Idlewild, about 2.4 miles from the Saddle Junction. On May 3rd, though, around noon, three hikers would encounter John, and they would warn him about a storm coming, but he seemed determined to continue up Fuller Ridge. One hiker had told John that he needed to buy an ice axe to hike Fuller Ridge, but John dismissed this advice. And I actually probably would skip on the ice axe as well, especially if I was hiking the PCT, because that's a lot of weight to carry. I don't think I've ever seen anybody hiking the PCT carrying an ice axe. Yeah, because people will wait out and won't hike. Yeah, they'll wait out the storm or whatever, yeah. And there is snow, but like the 40-mile, 30-mile, the backpacking trip that I recently did, we had... 
maybe like three miles of snow. And it was pretty extreme. It was like up this ice glacier. And I probably should have had crampons and all of that. But I was like, I'm not going to carry that weight for this entire trip. Like, I'll just struggle up this section and be fine. So I don't think it's terribly crazy that John elected to not have the ice axe. But he also didn't have well-fitting crampons either. Because he's got, like, soft, flexible shoes on at this point. He doesn't have, like, boots on. Why? Because they're lighter and easier. That's what most people who are doing these long-distance hikes, they just have, like, tennis shoes, basically. Trail trail running shoes? Yeah, like trail runners, yeah. And they'll just replace them as they wear out. By 1 p.m., John had a problem. The trail was completely covered by fresh snow when he reached Little Toquitz Valley. Sure. John would ask two hikers, 46-year-old Connie Davis, a Canadian nurse, and her 20-year-old son, Alex, for help. The two had extensive mountaineering experience and gear. And John had actually camped near the pair the night before. And the trio had actually not hit it off. So they said that he had no trouble speaking his mind And when they said that young men could find themselves, probably referring to Alex on the trail, John responded with, you find yourself living your life and kind of like ended the conversation. So he was just like kind of gruff, just kind of came off a little, not aggressive, but like speaking his mind. I don't find anything wrong with what he did, what he said. No, I mean, I don't They're like, a young man will find himself on this trail. And he's like, well, you find yourself living your life. Regardless of how their evening went, he would follow them in the morning because he doesn't know where he's going. And Connie does warn him, like, we're probably not taking the most direct route because they have all the gear that they need. They know where they're going. They have the gear. They can, like work their way around and climb things and do things that John cannot do. But he still wants to follow them. So they would hug the contour line equipped with good crampons and hiking poles, neither of which John had. His crampons did not work well with his lightweight hiking shoes, and he was swearing and falling constantly behind them. Oh, you know what? They, like, the description of him was that he swears a lot people uh-huh. have a huge issue with swearing like if you're not yeah if someone you're not who like likes swearing, swearing yeah no i sorry if we've offended you on this podcast I, well literally this podcast is just proof that i my swearing rubs people the wrong way because that's like <laughs> like a good handful of my bad reviews and bad shit that i get from this podcast or because i swear yeah and I'm Nobody like, seems to care if I swear, though. No, it's just me. It's just fucking me. It's just like the daughter uses so many unnecessary cuss words. Connie did say that she was thinking he should turn back. But she was also thinking he's an adult and I'm not going to tell him what to do. And honestly, it probably would not have made a difference if she did at this point. So about a half mile from Saddle Junction, where he was heading is where they left John, and they actually headed uphill following a small creek. And at this point, they're at about 8,080 feet. And the snow was patchy enough that there were hints of the trail where John was heading. So, like, it, the snow's not as severe anymore, 
So they felt like they could leave him because now there's like, you can see the trail. And this is now we're at May 3rd. Are we? Yeah. Because yeah. this is okay. his last sighting. This is okay. May 3rd. Yep. So May 3rd, May 3rd, 178 miles into his hike at this mm-hmm. point. And he's last seen a half mile before Saddle Junction. Mm-hmm. So by mid-May, about 12 days after the last sighting, the alarms were raised that no one had heard from John. So a friend of John's would call rural post offices where he knew that John would be picking up packages. Right, because nobody had heard from him. Yeah, she would alert authorities when she learned that he had not picked up any of his packages. Mm. And they would attempt to search for John, and they were unable to find him. They brought dogs into the area of Saddle Junction because, you know, last place he was seen. Right. But they called off the search after only two days. Yeah, and I couldn't find any information as to why the search was called off after two days. Um, here's my theory. Um, he was last seen But in they this have area. no idea where he and actually it's, is. Yeah. He, the last time he was seen was May 3rd. It's now middle of May. And so it's been about assuming, 12 days. So they're assuming if he is out there, he probably hasn't survived. Or he's... Long gone. In a whole different area. Like, they don't know how far uh, he was walking. Well, I wonder how far this is from the first package pickup that he missed. Because I'm guessing he's going to be between those two spots, Which right? is probably where they were looking, but... Yeah. John had no tent and very limited gear and supplies in an attempt to travel light, of course. He even carried extra socks that could double as gloves so he didn't have to carry those. So that's why there was the bag with the extra socks. He had written, couldn't find trail to Idlewild. So it is thought that he could have seen the lights of the town and tried to get there. But when he couldn't, the thought is that maybe he started heading toward the lights of Palm Springs, which would have been brighter. Mm-hmm. He would have traveled three miles northeast from the Saddle Junction then traversed Skinny Willow Creek and climbed a small ridge before dropping down into the steep cutting called Hidden Valley. None of the maps he carried would have helped him here, and he had no compass. His journal places him in Long Valley at 4,300 feet by the evening of May 3rd. So he immediately fucked up. Yeah, that day. That day, that night. That night, yep. On May 5, he recorded that he had had a fall, but he did not give details about his injuries. So he could also be potentially injured Mm -hmm. as well. He did note that he was already too weak to climb the walls of the canyon to get out. He wrote that he tried to signal for help using a mirror, and he attempted to start a fire, but everything was too damp. He easily could have burned through all of those matches trying to start a fire. Yeah. But he didn't because he realized that there was no, because everything's, everything's snowy. I, they got. I probably still would have tried. I would have just kept on trying. I mean, think about it. What do you have to lose at that point? Either way, Brandon and Gina are really lucky that he didn't. Yeah. By May 5, he noted that he had 12 cheese crackers left. On May 6, eight inches of snow would fall. And visibility would be about 100 feet. Oh, this, he did have a transistor radio, but it is assumed that nobody was close enough for the signal to work or for him to call for help. 
Because you have to be relatively close with some of those yeah. radios, especially if you're carrying like a lighter version. Which he probably was. Which he probably was. He also wrote in his notes that Ken Baker was the smart one. And the note about being buried in the Navy Cemetery was addressed to Ken. On May 11, he ate two crackers to celebrate his 60th birthday. And his last entry was on May 14, saying he was going down to Long Creek for water, and he wrote goodbye, and I love you all. Sad. So sad. Maddie looks like she's going to cry. <laughs> you are too. It's so sad. So one year later, the rescue of Gina and Brandon would finally bring searchers back out to look for John. The RMRU and Riverside Sheriff's Office would start the search at John's campsite on June 4. And searchers would be flown into the area for obvious reasons. And they would be dropped about a quarter mile above the campsite and have to fight their way down to the camp. And they actually struggled to get down there where yeah. the helicopter could drop them off. I'm done. I just They just fell out of my eyes now. Because you're trying to hold them back? It was just my eyes filling up. Yeah. Oh, it's just so sad. Um, it only took them 15 minutes to find John's body. Brandon and Gina are lucky that they didn't find it. Yeah. He was only 50 yards downstream from the camp near a 20-foot waterfall. He was wrapped in his tarp, and he was straddling a fallen branch across the stream. So the thought is maybe he fell into the water when he came down, um, or he could have jumped. Maybe the note was a suicide note. Maybe he was... That's what it sounds like I to mean, me. yeah. Either way, he ended up in the water and ended up, like, trapped against this log. One of the searchers said that he initially thought that Brandon and Gina were stupid for getting lost <laughs> until he was out there. And he said that it was one of the most strenuous rescues that they had ever participated in. But I love that he admitted that he thought they were stupid for getting lost. Yeah. Until he was out there and then he's like, oh, shit, this is intense. Yeah. He also confirmed that without the signal fire, there is no way that they would have found Brandon and Gina. They had no intention of searching that area. Yeah. No, why would they? Yeah. Brandon and Gina did become inseparable after their rescue. She would say, we have such a deep bond now. I trust Brandon with my life. And Brandon would say, I feel like I've looked into Gina's core inner being and found that she has a lot to offer and we trust each other. After two years, though, the bond would not be strong enough to keep them together. I imagine that the intense emotions that you feel going through something like that would for sure like instantly bond you to somebody. It's trauma. Yeah. Trauma bonding though. Trauma yeah. bonding. Trauma bonding. Never, it's never. It doesn't last. Yeah, for sure. So on July 11th, John would be laid to rest in Amelia County at the Veterans Cemetery. The minister would read Psalm 23. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Bagpipes would also play Amazing Grace, and a flag would be presented to Ken Baker. So he's buried with full honors, too, which I love. John's friend, Lynn Paget would open a plastic red cooler and pull out a sea breeze bottle filled with Irish whiskey 
and he would fill cups to pass around for a final toast to John Seabreeze Donovan. Paget would say, I think of him all the time. Sometimes as I fall asleep at night, I see myself hiking by a stream and I come around the bend and there's a tarp. There's a yellow pack and I yell, hey comrade, hey comrade, but there's no sound, just the wind and the stream and there's nothing there, just the green tarp, the pack, and some shoes on a rock. John had actually told friends that his biggest fear was to die alone and it's just so tragic to me that his fear came true. But there is no question that without John's matches, Brandon and Gina would have perished on that mountain. So maybe that can help John rest in peace. <laughs> I told you no. it got worse. <laughs> That's horrible. Uh, isn't it so sad? <laughs> Madison can't talk because she's full crying now. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're a liar. Don't lie to these podcasts. <laughs> Don't people. lie. They can't see me. What's wrong with you? It's funny. It's actually Madison crying is what makes me cry. Like it's not like I can get I could get through this without crying, but it's seeing Madison cry about it that like pushes me over the edge. I can't handle it. So now we're both crying. It's sad. His dad abandoned him. His mom died. He ended up in an orphanage. <laughs> he doesn't want to die alone and then ends up dying alone. Yeah. Because he got lost. I know. I feel like I should feel better about it because him dying in that place alone would save two more lives. What did Brandon and Gina do? Exactly. They better fucking what done did something do? with their life because if they didn't... <laughs> You guys better have your shit together. Because it and sounds you better like be that John things. was a good person. It's stupid. But this just goes to show, like, one misstep, one hey, decision. Comrade. There's no sound. Just wind, the stream, nothing there but the green tarp and a pack and some shoes on a rock. Madison's like, stop. <laughs> She's so upset right now. She's so upset. I'm sorry. All right. So that was the story of Brandon Day. Gina Allen, and John Donovan. It's so sad. It's so tragic. I don't like it. I want John to not die alone in the woods, and it's just traumatic. Yeah. But that's where we're at. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this two-parter. You can probably understand now why we couldn't put it all in one episode because it was just too much information. I really wanted to take the time to cover John's portion of the story as well and not just Brandon and Gina. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for showing up. Please go check out our Patreon. We have so many things on there and we would love for you guys to support us. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. So, Mom, have you heard that there's, like, a glitter shortage? There's a glitter shortage? That is not real. How can there be a glitter shortage? Do people like glitter? It's because people are using it to paint their fucking walls. It's because there's a specific company 
buying out all the glitter, buying the glitter faster than it can be made. Why? Is this some like plot to like take no, over? No, here's the thing: like, is what's that going on? the the like uh, New York Times contacted like the main manufacturer of glitter. I don't know who they are. They're based in never even considered there was a manufacturer of glitter. It no makes sense. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, it's in like West Virginia or something. Okay. Um, and um, the all they said was that. No, I I can't tell you who that is. What? I can't. Why? Are, because maybe they, it's like a car manufacturer and they're going to have like glitter cars coming out. So they're like buying up all the glitter? No, because they don't want us to know that it is glitter. What do you mean? That's what was said is that they don't know. They don't want us to know that it's made out of glitter. The what's made out of glitter? Exactly. Huh. Huh. Interesting. So there's like a whole bunch of conspiracies, obviously, on okay, what Okay, I would is like to glitter. know what everybody's glitter conspiracy is. And it can't be something obvious. Like a lot of people are saying boat paint and paint, but that's obvious that that could be glitter. Yeah, that like, that would have glitter in it. That, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. Toy companies, no, because that would make sense that there's glitter. Like it has to be something. But large amounts of glitter that are making us literally run out of glitter to the point where we huh. can't produce enough glitter fast enough to make huh. up for what's being sold. Do you have any theories? No. Huh. No. Okay. Um, it's the, probably I, being put in I, I do like the something. toothpaste one. Toothpaste definitely has like some glitter, some glitter sheen to it. All, all toothpaste does, really. Yeah. Um, I like so that maybe one. Like but it's like Colgate or something, like one of the bigger a companies. Too obvious that does to chew me, to me as well. But yeah. that would be gross if our toothpaste was literally just made out of glitter. That would be fucking. Well, it's not just glitter, but yeah, if it has glitter in it. I don't know. They're they're saying. I mean, they've been, like, uh, genetically altering our fruit forever to make it a more appealing color. I mean, make bananas more yellow, make apples more red. Bananas are a whole different topic. I don't, don't want to talk about bananas. started on bananas. I literally eat a banana a day, at least. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, so glitter theories. Let us know what you guys think. At some point, we're going to get around to recording today. But in the meantime, we're talking about glitter. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I was there was a TikTok on like a, some kind of missing person or something that I I liked. miss all the good news by not being on TikTok. Um, yeah, you do. You miss us. You miss so much. You don't even understand. Uh, um, one of the girls in Naked and Afraid started oh her period during her survival 21 days. Oh, God. And... Um, she had, like, really bad cramps, so she was, like, dying. She was, like, in a lot of pain. And she was, like, the last time I felt like this, I had to go to the hospital for my cramps. Like, she passed out and, like, hit her head well, at work. Maybe you don't shit. belong on Naked and Afraid. <laughs> Actually, she was one of the more capable people. Oh, no. Well, here's well, the thing. Well, she was way more capable than her partner was. Yeah, 21 days, you have to assume that you're going to spend some time on your period out there. Um... Also, what people don't understand of Naked and Afraid is that it's 21 days. You're going to have some shit days in there where you oh, are in pain or and not, not feeling, feeling well. well. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And Especially when you're malnutrition, you're drinking contaminated water potentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, because everybody always at least once gets sick. Both people do on yeah. that trip or don't feel well. And then it always causes a fight with their partner. But then it's like, but the other partner was just laying for two days 
you, a couple right. days ago. Yeah. Like, why are you complaining now? Okay. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and put a little warning right here. There may or may not be some talk about some feminine things that not everybody wants to hear about that's coming up right now because I'm going to leave this at the end, but not everybody's going to want to hear what I had to say. So you can... And if you can tell from Maddie still laughing uncontrollably and slightly crying, um, you might want to hear it, but you also might not. So fair warning. If you're easily made uncomfortable (laughs) by conversations. Maybe stop here. Now she's on her period. Yeah. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm in extreme pain. Yeah. The whole time. Madison's pretty useless when she's on her period. I'm pretty useless. (laughs) I have like... I will keep going through the pain and through the tiredness, but... My cramps make me nauseous because I'm I'm only nauseous on like the first day. Yeah, no, I'm like nauseous my like majority of the time. Hopefully you all have enjoyed this section of Maddie and Marie's period talk. All right, moving on. This is like not... We're not normal just, conversation. We're not just chit chatting like in uh, No, no, I no like period talk. Like I forget that it's not a normal for other people. For other yeah, people, yeah. like it's not like I'll talk to anybody about it. You want to talk about it? Sure, it's normal. Why aren't we talking about it? This is totally normal for Stay me. Stay tuned for the episode that's gonna come out that is just Maddie's period. Um Day actually one. we could do it a whole segment. Day one. <laughs> Maddie's curled up in a ball, moaning the entire episode. Uh, like Tina Belcher. It hurts. Day two. Maddie's still curled up in a ball, <laughs> but she is able to speak now. Has thrown up <laughs> twice. She has thrown up twice and can't stop shitting herself. Day three. Maddie probably has a UTI from shitting herself. <laughs> I actually always get. UTIs but the good news is, she's been able to shower now. <laughs> Day four. I can, stand. I can stand up now. I'm no longer curled into a ball. Day four. Madison hasn't eaten for four days and has been shitting herself and throwing up. So she is extremely malnutrition and is running into the wall and getting lightheaded every time she stands up. Day five. Maddie's period should be done, but it's fucking not. And she's back to curled up in a ball with a heat pad and has been sobbing uncontrollably for three hours. This is sounding actually honestly pretty realistic. Wait, this is pretty close. Day six. Maddie's period ends. But stay tuned for day seven when it comes back for some strange reason. And then continues for three more days. Also, day seven, Madison started shitting herself again. I can't. Thing, but the smoke is so bad. So I couldn't go hiking right now. I it's, know. Um, they so, canceled the memorial hike. Oh, that's crazy. The memorial hike for Rachel Aqueduct was supposed yeah, to be today, and that's it got canceled. Crazy. I know. So um, I don't know about the rest of you, but the Pacific Northwest and Montana and Idaho, and we're we're all on fire over here. Oh yeah. Our air quality is total shit. You guys you can't see it's that. It's like far. when you get up in the morning and there's like really bad fog. It looks like that, but it's like all smoke day. All day. It's apocalyptic. It looks like the world is ending. Like you're driving to the store and there's like little bits of ash falling. It's like 
It yeah, feels... and it's been for so long now. We've been on fire. Well, because we haven't had months. rain in so long. We've been on fire since summer. We've been on fire it's since crazy. like August. Yeah, it's crazy. Since whenever the last time we said we were on fire, the first time we were like, it's on fire over here. Mm-hmm. It's basically been on fire since then. Yeah. Which is why I'm sure the mountains are, well, the mountains are on fire. They probably can't even, it's probably not even because of the smoke. It's probably because of fire danger. Yeah, probably. It's crazy, yeah. Mount Baker's on fire real bad right now. Is it? Yeah. Fuck. We just look. We were looking at the fire map this morning, and it's like there are fires all over the place. Like, if you look at... I think I, I saw it yesterday. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 